And we are back. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about practical mental health tips with Jess. Yes. <laughs> All right. On to you, Jess. Okay. So, you know, whenever I talk about this topic, I always like to start with the concept of um, the fact that each and every single one of us have mental health. So I think there's kind of like an othering that happens with the words mental health. We always think that it's about someone else and um, that we are like not at risk or vulnerable and so we don't need to be looking after our mental health. Um, and so we kind of treat mental health in a very different way that we do physical health. Mm. But it's really important for us to remember that every single one of us have a brain. And so because you have a brain, you have mental health. And so you need to look after it. Okay, so these are really, really practical tips on how you can care for your mental health. And I think a nice way, like I did the last time, I always like to define things because then we all have a general idea of what mental health actually means. Okay. okay. So <laughs> mental health is not the absence of a mental illness. Okay. So um, it is not necessarily just not having a, a depressive disorder or an anxiety mm-hmm. disorder. It's really multifactorial. Okay. And it's about... Um, how you engage with your environment around you, how you engage with your relationships, um, how you cope with stress, how you um, manage in your work environment. So mental health is is really a lot more than people think that it actually is. Yeah. Yeah, it's about how we engage with our environment around us. And so um, looking after it, because the definition is so multifaceted, it is very, very multifaceted. Okay, so these are really, really practical tips on how we can care for it. Okay, the first one is the concept that I always like to talk about, and it's just generally about talking about our feelings. Okay, <laughs> so we and that is why we're here. Yes, <laughs> to talk about our feelings. So I think that we live in a world where we've classified talking about our feelings as bad. So we we're pretty good at talking about happiness and mm. joy and excitement and love and contentment and wonder and all of those fantastic positive adjectives. But we really don't talk about things like feeling sad, feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling disappointed, feeling hurt, feeling pain. We don't mm. we don't talk about that. And um, a lot of people kind of try and push those feelings under the carpet and they don't want to deal with those feelings because they can feel really uncomfortable to feel. And so we don't talk about those kinds of feelings. And so... I think the first step to caring for mental health is actually starting to learn to have conversations around all of our feelings. And not just toxic positivity. Oh gosh, please, no. <laughs> Definitely not toxic positivity. Could you actually just give a short summary of what that is so people can understand and see it? Yeah, okay. So toxic positivity is kind of, I always like to use the phrase, everything's going to be okay. Like, don't mm. feel that, um, like... You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Like, it's kind of... It's completely washing over any of the complexities of being human. So mm. the feelings of the hurt and the pain and the difficulties that, with, that we face with this kind of toxic, everything's going to be okay, you'll be fine, the world, the world will work out as it should be. And so I don't... Toxic positivity is not good for your mental health. It's important to have gratitude and a sense of a positive um, approach at times but it's also very very important for you to feel those more difficult emotions and sit in it and sit in it and that's because when you do that what happens is that you build emotional resilience yeah and when you I bu- loved your 
sorry. No. Off topic. No. But, um, on Jess's Instagram, mm. you do lives yeah. really based around a topic, and there's yeah. one about that that I yeah. really enjoyed. So yeah. Maybe. So we often think that emotional resilience is the concept of like, I must be strong, mm. I must be brave, I must push through. But that's not emotional resilience at all. Emotional resilience is allowing yourself to feel things like your pain and your hurt and your upset and all of those difficulties, allowing yourself to really sit with it, process it, resolve it. And then that's how emotional resilience is born. So we need to start to create a culture where it's okay for us to talk about our difficult emotions and it's okay for us to feel our difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. Because when we squash them, that's when we put ourselves at risk of developing mental illness. So that's tip number one. Okay. Perfect. Next one is therapy. (laughs) So this is one of my favorite topics. Um, And it's actually quite a nice next one to the concept of normalizing talking about our emotions because one of the spaces where we get to do that is in a therapeutic space. So I often get asked by people, when should I be in therapy and when should I not be in therapy? And I always say to them, you know, I don't think you need a mental illness or mental health symptoms to be in therapy. Therapy is a beautiful space to be able to get to know yourself, to develop um, emotional resilience, to develop coping skills, to learn about boundaries. And these are all really important things to care for your mental health. Another one that I experienced was having a soundboard that wasn't anyone in my circle. Yes. Because sometimes I found myself kind of emotionally vomiting Mm. on one person Mm. in my circle and it does start to take away from their actual role in your life. So if it's your partner, but you Mm. start expressing like every single trauma you've had with Mm. them and they sometimes have the feeling of, you know, having the responsibility of maybe fixing you or being there. Mm it can sometimes be very helpful to take that responsibility off them and just soundboard it on mm-hmm. an objective person that isn't in your like space. And then one, you have the relationship kept for what it needs and Absolutely. should be. And you get to attend to your mental health Absolutely. or struggles or whatever. Yeah. So that was a big one for me. Yeah, I think it's so important that like neutral objective view as yeah. well. And therapists because they're neutral they see things that a lot of people who are in your circles and not so close sometimes Mm. can't see because they're too close and so because there's a little bit of distance and space there's a little bit of objectivity and so you can learn a lot and the thing about therapy as well which people don't actually know and it's so interesting is that if you have a diagnosis of mild depression so moderate to severe depression we often go towards um, treating with medication but if you only have mild symptoms or don't quite meet criteria for any psychiatric illness but you have symptoms therapy is a known treatment regimen okay so it works it works Mm -hmm. on your neurochemistry the the process of going to therapy on a regular basis having the containment of the space it does what it needs to do to help settle mental health symptoms and so it's a treatment regimen in itself and it's a preventative measure for the development of mental illness exactly and it's like what you said in the beginning you don't actually need to be a level of sad or depressed Mm -hmm. or lonely or whatever Mm -hmm. emotion you may be moving through to go to see Mm -hmm. someone absolutely not definitely you could even be the happiest you've ever been yeah and see someone definitely for whatever reason yeah there's always an opportunity to learn about self and learn Mm -hmm. about the world around you and to do that really really protects your mental health Um, and just to say that there's so many different kinds of therapies and i always just encourage people to find 
a therapist that they feel like they really connect with mm. and to find a therapeutic modality that works for them. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time. So sometimes it's kind of realizing after three sessions, oh, I don't actually have that great of a rapport with this person. And we never take it personally as psychiatrists and psychologists. We get that it's, it's, it, it has to be a dynamic that works. Mm-hmm. And so to find someone that you feel like you connect with, that you feel like is a really good therapeutic space for you. What are your thoughts I mean, do you think it's maybe a good thing to go from, let's just say you have a season with a therapist mm. and you feel like you've gotten what you needed and then to potentially go to a different therapist mm. and maybe you start realizing different things because obviously their perception of life yeah. is different and they're like, I don't know, that's just from my, that's just coming from a question mm. for myself. I've seen a therapist now, but I do feel like I've come to the end with her, yeah. but I enjoy the practice of mm. therapy. So it might actually be beneficial to just dip my toe and mm. see maybe there's something else to learn. Like, I, I think yeah. that that's so great. And it's also, it's great for um, figure, like doing different kinds of therapeutic modalities. So what different kinds of so they There's so many of them. Okay. But some people do like psychoanalytical therapy. Some people do psychodynamic therapy. Some people do things like mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. Some people do what we classify as narrative therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's so many different kinds mm. of therapies. And so if you've been doing one sort of therapy with someone and you feel like you've come to an end of that, it might be nice to also change modalities and see, see. whether or not there's something else that you can learn different skills mm-hmm. with regards to. That being said, sometimes when you are in a therapeutic relationship with a therapist, what's really important is that if you're dealing with attachment stuff, so if you've had like um, attachment figures in your life that um, have been quite unstable, it's quite a good idea to stay with the same therapist for a long period of time because what you do is you rebuild that kind of attachment relationship. So in some in some scenarios it's good to to move and in some scenarios it's also good to stay. But have those kind of open conversations with your therapist. I think oh. that's always important. I love that. It's just communicate with your therapist what it is that you feel like you need. That's actually really nice. Yeah. I love that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, pleasure. <laughs> okay, so those are the first two tips. The um these are quite practical tips. So um I, as a psychiatrist, classify myself as a holistic psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. so the way that I practice is that Yes, what I do is I look at your mind, but I also look at what's going on in your body that could be contributing to your mind. Okay, so these are some bodily things that we know um, can affect uh, mental health long term and how you should be looking after your body to be able to care for your mental health. Love it. Okay, let's go. Okay, so the first one is nutrition. And I'm not going to go into this in too much detail because you've literally just done a season (laughs) on nutrition. (laughs) And and there's so many great things that are on that season. Mm. It's season three, right? Yeah, so if you haven't listened to that, please go and listen to all of that but and I'm not a nutritional therapist but there is, is that a thing a nutritional therapist yeah it is it's a it's interesting it's a, someone who's specialized in nutrition and therapy and they um yeah they're skilled in both so wow. yeah very interesting um but there's an entire branch of psychiatry that's coming out at the moment called nutritional psychiatry and it looks at the food mood connection essentially and the concept behind it is what we eat is nourishing the cells in our body, but what we eat is also nourishing the cells in our brains. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not eating properly, we're not nourishing our brain cells and we're putting ourselves at risk of developing psychiatric symptoms and mental health symptoms going forward. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. But I feel like there's also that fine line of like, we spoke about it in the previous mm. one, is orthorexia. So like oh, only yeah. believing that healthy food is good for you. Yes. Personally, I will have all kinds yeah. and they I eat and drink things for different reasons mm-hmm. 
and that in itself nourishes me. So yeah. like eating, yes, mm. high nutritional food, but when you do have something like a McFlurry on a Saturday yes. because it makes your soul happy, yes. do that too. Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Because <laughs> nourishment is more than just food. Nourishment exactly, is yeah. also emotional nourishment. And that's kind of what yeah. I got from that. But yeah. I just wanted to like clarify it so, totally. so everyone doesn't just go drink like green juice. No. Like and you know, <laughs> the, the kind of, I did a talk on this a little while ago as well. So also the concept of intuitive eating. Like mm. your body is pretty wise. It can guide you into what the kind of things that... Um, is good for it I mean like I said I'm not a nutritional therapist but yes you don't have to eat 100% perfectly all the time mm. to be able to look to be able to look after your neurons which are your brain cells but just know that that if you aren't eating healthy things occasionally that are, are good for your neurons you are putting yourself at risk of developing a mental illness and what they kind of go towards with regards to um, dietary requirements for mental health mm. is very much like a Mediterranean diet so lots of leafy mm. greens uh, lean meats and then they also put a lot of emphasis on things like omega-3s which are super important yes. they're the, the building blocks and then also uh, vitamin b is one of the ones that is really super important for mental health so i'm not going to go into this in any more detail because you've done such a beautiful podcast on it but know that nutrition is there is a link between mood and food okay love that okay <laughs> next part of it i'm going to talk a little bit about gut health so uh gut health is um, essentially your brain mm -hmm. and your gut are linked by a vagus nerve. Okay, Your vagus nerve is the longest nerve in uh, your entire body. It is essentially a highway of information. Okay, And if your gut is unhappy and your gut is inflamed or you have symptoms of uh, IBS or bloating or irregular bowel movements or any kind of gut symptoms it's really hard to make sure that your brain is healthy as well okay so it's really important that we are looking after our guts to be able to look after our mental health and so if you have any kind of consistent gut symptoms i would encourage you to see a gut health specialist mm -hmm. and there are a few in cape town and they can really help get your gut under control and what that does is it helps get any kind of psychiatric symptoms under control as well I also feel like that coin can be flipped as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. If your brain is yeah. psychiatric symptoms. I mean, I remember being a kid and being anxious about something and, um, you know, your stomach gets mm -hmm. sore. It's like exactly the flip around of that. So I had IBS oh, yeah. and I thought it was food related yeah. until I completely, and this is in an episode of IBS yes. Gut Health yes. in season yes. three, where I break it down more. But essentially, when I let go of my fear around food, yeah. I was less anxious yes. and my anxiety was actually the thing that was mm. bringing on IBS symptoms so absolutely. it was the way I was thinking not the mm -hmm. way I was eating yes absolutely. so like it's both sides of the coin it's so tricky it is but definitely yes. but yeah just make sure you're looking after your gut and um I often, and I'm sure you spoke about probiotics as well, but probiotics are, I often put my patients who've got any kind of psychiatric symptoms, if they've got gut symptoms as well on a probiotic, it's a really nice preventative measure. Um, and if you, in case you didn't know this, which I also find to be super interesting, is that serotonin is one of your main neurotransmitters in your brain, so it's the one that is involved with a lot of mood-related stuff. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I, it makes sense. Yeah, and 95% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. Yes. Yeah, so it's a huge amount. So it's really important that we're looking after our gut health. There, isn't there a stat where it says that there is more nerve endings, or is it more neurons, mm. or they're the same thing? I'm not sure now. They, they, yeah, they're different <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, now I've confused myself. In your gut, then in your brain. 
the neurons are, are, are uh, cells in your brain. Okay, yeah. so then it's nerve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's more nerves in your gut than there are in your yeah, brain. Yeah, But obviously they're linked, so it's yes. like the same. Yeah, so it's super important that we're looking after our guts, we're looking after our mental health. Okay, the next part that I'm going to get to is the concept of sleep. So this is something that a lot of people don't prioritize. Um, it's like, go, go, go mentality. It's sleep totally. for four hours. 5am club. Exactly, it is. And it's also the concept of like, our worth is so based on our productivity. And mm-hmm. so we don't prioritize rest at all. And one of the things that usually falls away is the idea of sleep. So you need to be getting eight hours of sleep a night. And uh, I know that this is a tricky one. And I see a lot of moms and moms are not getting eight hours of sleep a night. But um, eight hours of sleep is super important for mental health. So if you have a lack of sleep, I'm going to list the things that it actually impacts. So it impacts your ability for new learning and to lay down memory. It impacts your productivity. It increases your risk of mood and anxiety disorders. It impacts your immune system. It increases... Huge one. Huge one. Huge. Increases inflammation. And the inflammation itself can increase your risk of developing a mental illness. It causes hormonal dysregulation. And mm-hmm. we know that there's a link between hormonal dysregulation and mental health symptoms. And it also decreases your ability to cope with stress. AKA 2018 for me. Really? <laughs> Were you not getting that much sleep at the time? I was doing the whole like four hours sleep, hustling, hustling, hustling. Gosh. Didn't listen to my mental health, didn't mm. listen to many things until my body got really, really sick. Yeah. And it was all based on not sleeping, not eating mm. right. Um, stre- no stress management, mm. no sleep mm. management, everything that we're talking yeah. about here, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it just, I mean, it shows you. And since you've changed all of those things, yeah. much sleep better. is honestly, my success now is sleeping, going to the bathroom when I wake up, and making time to move and eat right. Like, if I do that in a day, I'm like, that to me is success. Not yeah. what my to do list yeah. doesn't look like at the end of the day or like how many clients I saw or mm. got or whatever, to me, it's this list. Oh, I love it so much mm. because it's it's such a beautiful example of like self-prioritization. Yeah. It's like you uh, you need to be able to tend to self if you're going to be able to do anything else on your list. Yeah, so, because if you, it, these things mm. specifically, but when I wasn't doing this, I wasn't a nice person. Yeah. Yeah, I really was. Well, understandably <laughs> so. It just shows you what your, your mind and your body need. And it's mm. so wonderful that you've made the shift. Um, so you were just talking about stress, which I think is we need to talk about as well if we're going to talk about um, practical mental health tips. Cool. So let's go. okay, so normal response to stress is critical for your survival. Okay, so acute stress results in like fight or flight or freeze mode, and that is if we were back in the day in cavemen, that's part of our survival mechanism. Okay, but we now live in a world where we are under chronic amounts of stress and so that fight flight uh, or freeze mode is consistent okay and so we need to find ways to be able to decrease our stress so chronic stress causes long-term damage to your brain so it's important to know this and what it does exactly is that it causes death of neurons and changes in your brain structure it results in dysfunctional connections between different parts of your brain and that results in the development of mental health symptoms because your brain's not talking to itself like it should. 
and it increases your risk of development of mood and anxiety disorder and then also affects things like your, what we call your higher order functioning which is like memory and problem solving so we think that if we just keep going and going and going with our chronic stress, we'll, we can be super productive mm-hmm. and just output, output, output. But what you're actually doing is long-term, you're going to decrease whatever your productivity and output is. So you need to start to decrease your stress levels. Now, that's like an easy thing to say, like decrease your stress. But how do we actually do that? Because we live in very, very stressful worlds. Um, what you are doing is magnificent in that you are like prioritizing these things, but some people are unable to do that. So one of the, um, the things that I talk about a lot with my patients about managing chronic stress is it's called the activation of what we call the relaxation response. Okay. Okay. And the relaxation response is essentially getting that fight, flight or freeze mode to settle and it takes a very, very short period of time, okay? And the concepts behind it are, there are a few of them, but um, this is all part of what we classify as mind-body medicine. And I'm, a, um, I'm currently studying through, um, it's the uh, Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Hospital, okay. and the, it's called mind-body medicine. And it's got to do with this kind of activation of your relaxation response as a means of looking after your stress and your mental health. So what they say really, really helps is the first one is the concept of deep belly breathing. Okay. And this literally takes you two minutes whilst you're making a cup of tea, um, if, you have, if you have that time during the day. And when we do deep belly breathing, what it does is that we start to activate our diaphragm. And when we activate our diaphragm, what happens is we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. Oh, wow. And that calms us in that moment. It literally turns the relaxation response on and decreases your chronic stress. So... If you, I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm stressed and I, I can feel that I start to breathe up here in my chest yeah. and it's about noticing that. And what we need to do is we need to start shifting to breathing deep within our bellies. So they often say, pop your hands on your bellies and make sure that you, when you breathe out, you actually, uh, your belly is pushing out and do um, three deep breaths of that where your inhale is four breaths in and your exhale is six breaths out. Do three of those. And that activates your relaxation response. So it's a really, really easy thing to do before you go into a meeting. If you're feeling particularly stressed that day, if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, mm-hmm. it's one of the, it's a really, really nice thing to do. And it's and really super accessible. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And really, really good for your mental health. The next thing that they talk about with regards to relaxation responses, it's a visualization of a setting that is calming for you. So to literally just sit down and think about, I mean, for me, it would be like, sitting on a beach somewhere and swimming in a tidal pool and then having tea on the side of the beach. And to actually visualize that, it makes your brain think that you are in that space and in that place and it activates it. I love it. that. So yeah. not in the moment, but mm. what I do every morning now, because every day is different for me. Mm. And I know sometimes when I have quite a substantial to-do list ahead yeah. of me, I actually sit in bed before I get up, before I even journal or do anything. I journal like once a week. I don't do it every day. I'm not like perfect. Also good for your mental health, journaling. It is very good. But sometimes I find it overwhelming to commit to it all the time. And then I judge myself when I don't do it. (laughs) Aren't we all so bad at that? We like, we have to do these things and then we just beat ourselves up. And then it defeats the point of actually doing it. So now I do it when I can do it. Yes. Um, But I actually sit in bed. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. Mm. Let me actually step by step walk myself through my day Mm -hmm. before I get out of bed. 
and understand that it is achievable mm. and it can be done mm-hmm. in a less stressful way. Mm-hmm. That's just what I do. I'm not saying that's the way to do it. It's not scientifically proven, but I sit there and I literally visualize. I'm like, I'm going to make myself coffee. Then I'm going to do that and that, and it'll be fine. Like if that doesn't happen and then I get up and I just spend two minutes of my day before I even start the day. That's so great. I love that, that so much. It's, I mean, it's a different form of visualization, but it, mm. it works and it like sets you up for, okay, like whatever the day brings me, I can tackle it and exactly. I feel calm as I enter into it. And I think that that's so great. I mean, obviously things come in that are not expected, oh, yeah. but at least you have kind of like mm-hmm. a mapping mm. to follow mm-hmm. if you are someone who needs it. Yeah. Not everyone needs that. Yeah. I need that. Yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. I love that. That's really wonderful. So visualization is, like we just said, part of the activating of your relaxation response. Um, the other parts of it are, I'm not going to go into it in too much detail, but meditation is really, really good for your mental health um, and really, really good for activating this relaxation response. You know, I'm one of those people that has been trying to meditate for like two decades and I can't get my brain to be quiet. I really, really, really struggle with it. Um, I talk about it all the time in my clinical practice and I talk to my patients about it, but it's, it's really, really tough. So Luke is the same. Is he? Okay. He's ADHD. So okay. he also has a little bit of a t- an attention um imbalance yeah. <laughs> it's a nice way to put it I yeah. like it yeah um so I said to him okay where do you feel calm he's like no when I garden and when I bake bread I'm like that's your meditation oh wonderful meditation yeah. looks different to everyone that's really nice I've actually never thought about it like that so you probably do other yeah. things yes where you're meditating yes but you just don't call it meditating oh that's so great because if I have to just sit and get my mind to shut down it just does not happen Luke. it's always so busy actually makes me anxious to meditate with him we really? tried it in lockdown oh really i was like okay let's try get you into a routine yeah. you can do mine you yeah. can do yoga yeah hates it oh really meditation hates it oh i love that. exercise hates it i'm like oh my gosh i have no tools for you what do you want no i like to garden and bake bread i'm like uh, michael yeah that's your gardening is your exercise because it is it's a physical yeah. activity and baking bread is mm. your meditation. It just looks different. It's so great. And I love that because it's we we like have these things where we that we say we must be able to do for our mental health, but it's so important what you said in that we have to adapt it to us ourselves mm. as individuals. So you need to enjoy it yeah. of anything. Mm, absolutely. Because then it you're sustainable. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, I mean the thought of me sitting down and meditating, I would just want to avoid it completely. But now I'm gonna look for it. So thank yeah. you. That's so super <laughs> helpful. Um the next part of activating your relaxation response is yoga. And you can actually speak a little bit more about this yeah. because you, you do a lot of yoga and you spend some time in India doing a course. Yeah. So um, I went in, funny enough, it's just like, this, it's so, it just shows you like there's no one size fits yeah. all. I went in going to um, India. I was like, I'm going to like be renewed and I'm going to have this different perspective on life and I'm going to have yoga as this practice that I'm going to be able to teach and practice myself and all of that. And I ended up going and I was like, this isn't really for me. Oh, really? So I like doing yoga, mm. but I like doing it as more of a physical thing yeah. than a mental thing. Interesting. And I thought it was going to be the other mm. way around for mm. me. Mm. But obviously the effects of doing something physically can affect mentally. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, to yes. some degree. But um, I think for me, it's just... As someone who maybe is physically busy, mm. it does 
allow me to slow down and be very present in how my body is holding myself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. So isometric exercises, mm-hmm. which is essentially yoga, yeah. forces you to be present mm-hmm. in a physical way like you would in a meditative way when you meditate mm-hmm. for your brain. But mm-hmm. it's the physical mm-hmm. practice of it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt that. But I don't get drawn to it very often. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that answered the question. It totally right. answers the question. Okay. Because yes. the other thing that they say activates that relaxation response is Tai Chi, which I think is also a, a similar thing. It's about being present in your body. I think, yeah. And also it's it's the breath, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a practice of breath. Mm. And I didn't get that the first few times I did yoga because I didn't go and do my yoga teacher training. Mm. And... Um, even after my yoga teacher training, mm. I was like, I've literally just trained my to be able to train myself. I yes. have so much more that I need to learn yeah. in order to even touch the surface of teaching someone else. Mm. Um, but, oh gosh, I had a brain fart and now I've left. Why does that happen? We were talking about breath. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but breath is super important. There's an entire realm called breath work that is... Well, yeah. mo- yoga... It originated from breathing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even the vinyasa and yeah. the shanga of what yeah. it is. The first were, I think it's called pranayama, and I hope I didn't butcher that name. <laughs> but essentially, it's different exercises of breathing mm-hmm. that you would be coached through, yeah. and that would be yoga. Amazing. It wasn't even a movement. Yeah. It didn't move. It yeah. was holding your breath in different mm-hmm. ways. That's so interesting. And then it started becoming more physical mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. And now I think it's been westernized quite yes. intensely yeah. so that it's only a physical, physical practice. practice. Yeah. But yeah, it actually originated in just breathing. That's so fascinating. And yeah. I think that's why maybe connecting to your first point about deep belly breaths mm. is why it does get leaned on yeah. for a um, toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, if we just look at breath in general, it, it can be such a great tool for mental health. Like I said, there's an entire realm of it. I'm not a breathwork practitioner, but mm. there are quite a few of them that you can find online and that do some YouTube videos and about connecting to your breath as a means of mental health care. It's really, really great. Yeah, oh, super interesting. Dig into that. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Okay, so we are still talking about... Um, just this activation of the relaxation response. The last part of it is getting into nature, okay? So just like when you take deep belly breaths that are, activate your diaphragm and activate your parasympathetic nervous system, so does nature, okay? It's known to activate it. It's known to be calming. It's known to be really good for your mental health. So get outside as much as you possibly can. I find even when I just drink my coffee outside, my yeah. whole day is different. Mm. When I stay inside the whole time, mm. I feel very isolated. Mm. Yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. And that's just like the connectivity that you feel to mm-hmm. nature. It's so important. We did touch on this a little bit um, earlier, but the next part about caring for your mental health, and we spoke about it in the concept of sleep, but I think it's also important to just talk about in general, is the concept of rest versus productivity. Okay. We as um, a generation or as human beings in general have forgotten about rest, about the concepts of needing to fill our own cups first before giving to others, about basing our worth on productivity. Um, I need to remind you that you were born with worth and that your worth is not based on anything that you output in the slightest. And I, from a mental health perspective, you need to actively prioritize rest, whether it be 
um, moments in your day, whether it be periods of leave, whether it be sleep, whether whatever rest looks like for you, that's super important that you put it on your priority list. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Reminder for myself. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm good at rest now. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I've also gotten a little bit better with it over time. Um, the next part about looking after your mental health is to pick up warning signs. Okay. So. I always say to people that they should have a means by which they check in on themselves on a daily basis. So whatever that looks like to them. And that's about fostering self-awareness. So there are multiple ways that you can do this. Some people download mood apps, which are great. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can do... What, do, what does the app do? So what it does exactly is um, it, it asks you to use adjectives of what your mood is that day uh, okay, I see. yeah and yeah. then also um kind of what stresses are going on in your life it, it gives you like a scale out of 10 of where you're at from a mood and anxiety it's perspective like a forced journaling almost or not a forced yeah a, a guided journaling yeah. almost yeah and then what lands up happening is that if you look back at it retrospectively you can be like oh like the past month has actually been pretty tough maybe i need to do something about this like yeah. my if you look at the graph my mood has actually been pretty low all my anxiety has been really really high um, and sometimes we when we can't when we in it and we're struggling with our mood and our anxiety we don't realize how long it's been going on for that's so, so to true. have something that's objective to be like oh my gosh this has actually been quite consistent what mood so apps like, are there? do you know oh gosh i'll have to give you all the names of them yeah and but they're really really nice things to utilize the next thing that's important is uh, i like to say people should be doing body scans so Every single day, I when I sit in my chair in between patients, what I do is I do a quick body scan. So, am I breathing properly? Where's tension lying? How fast is my heart beating? Uh, just like really, really connecting with my body in a way that is quite grounding and to know where my body is at. Uh, it's really good for mental health. And let's say something you can feel is off. Mm. What if you don't know what that symptom is representing? representing? That's a good question. Because let's just say like, you have a pain in a part of your body yeah. that isn't direct to an injury or something, mm-hmm. but you know it's not meant to be there. Mm-hmm. What would someone's next? To I think the the Besides like Google. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, with MD. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, Don't go there. I think like the mood, the mood apps where you get to see things over a long period of time. Mm. I would probably say if it's not something that's too acute or too painful, to just watch it. And if mm. you consistently have pain in a certain area then maybe get things checked out. Or we know that if you have anxiety, you carry tension in very specific places of your body. So it's in your neck, it's in your jaw, and it's things like headaches. And so if you're consistently having those kinds of symptoms, maybe there's some anxiety that you're not processing. Yeah. And so it's kind of to consistently, over a period of time, watch things. For mental health, whenever we make a diagnosis, it has to be over a longitudinal period of time. So it's never just a spot diagnosis of something. Mm -hmm. So anything that you do from a mental health perspective is kind of just watching yourself over a period of time. So if you've got pain somewhere, just keep monitoring it and see what's going on and then seek help if you need it. Then I just said, uh, what's a nice way to do it as well is morning journal pages, but not for cans every day. Some people find this easier than others. Um, but being able to write out feelings is, is um, a, a really, really nice way of figuring out how you're doing every day. And then it can also just be as simple as every day you can ask yourself, what is my mood score uh, out of 10 and what is my anxiety out of 10? And then just watch it. And then if you start to notice a dip, 
just chat to help a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. So like we said in the very beginning, you don't need to have a mental illness to check in with a mental health professional. So, oh, yeah. 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 So if you're worried about anything, you want to chat about the fact that um, your mood app is showing something that you're concerned about, just make an appointment and see someone. Okay. And then the last tip for caring for your mental health is to act early. Okay. So the reason why I say this is because the quicker you act when you have the diagnosis of any kind of mental illness, um, the better your long-term prognosis is. So if you have rumblings of symptoms for a very, very long period of time, it becomes harder to treat. Okay. So if you start to show symptoms or you start to be concerned about yourself um, or people around you are saying that they're worried in any capacity, rather see someone earlier rather than later. Um, and most people delay seeing me. It's so interesting. The one comment that often comes out of their mouths is they say, I wish I'd done this sooner. And the reason why people delay seeking mental health care is so multifaceted. A large portion of it is shame. So people feel very shameful about their symptoms. Another part is the fear of stigma. They don't want to tell people that they're seeing a psychiatrist. Um, they often deem their symptoms as being a weakness instead of an illness or symptoms that are very, very physiological in nature. And then there are lots of myths around this treatment. So people have lots of myths around antidepressant treatment, anti-anxiety medication. And so people avoid seeing someone who can actually help. Um, but my encouragement would be if you notice something that's changing, act quickly and chat to someone who's got the skill set to be able to help you with it. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's, that's us. all the tips for today. And then we will see you next week for helping someone with mental illness, which I think is such a wonderful one to flow into from the last point you made. So make sure to pop in next week. We'll see you then. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.